Revelation chapter 3. So in Southern California, what's the, their favorite football team in Southern California? What do you guys, you root for any team? Like any team? No? No football teams? Wow. Yeah, no. <laughs> I was going to ask you, it's actually in my beautiful joke book. Um, when three Oakland Raiders are, well now Las Vegas Raiders, are in the car together, riding in the car together, who's doing the driving? The police. <laughs> Is that a bad one or what? I mean, uh, actually, it was Dallas Cowboy. You can change it to any team you want to and get somebody asking what their favorite team is. And I, I guess that could work for anything. What do you do with anyone? Wow, you guys are... Let's just go on to the... How many of you woke up this morning and was excited to have a nice cold drink? Really, some of you guys are like cold drinks on cold days. You know, usually when we have a, a cold day like this, we have hot drinks. And when it's a hot day, you have a what? A cold drink. Uh, you know, they actually say that if you prefer a hot drink over a cold drink or a cold drink over a hot drink, um, it tells a little bit about your personality of who you are and what you're like. So let me see some. How many of you prefer a hot drink over a cold drink? Let's see here. Raise your hand. If you prefer a hot drink over cold. How many prefer a cold drink over a hot drink? Wow. Look at this. All right. Well, you guys wouldn't be good missionaries. Because if you go to, if you go to Argentina or different places, well, actually Peru, you're going to have an Inca Cola. You ever have one of these things? An Inca Cola. Let me tell you something about Inca Colas. Inca Colas are lukewarm. They don't drink things cold. And so you have this hot meal and they come out with this lukewarm drink and you have everything lukewarm. And I don't know about you, but I prefer either hot or cold. I don't like warm drinks with my meal, but that's how they do it. Different cultures have warm drinks with their meals. They don't have these cold or hot drinks. Some cultures have hot drinks with hot meals. I mean, think about that. And we're all different in how we do. So I remember I would eat in the cafeteria there in, in, in Peru, and they would have these drinks, and none of them had ice in it. None of them. And they were all lukewarm drinks. And, and, and it never, and here's another thing about Peru I didn't realize. They didn't have hot water in the seminary. And so every shower was cold. And, but when you're living in 90 degree weather, you want a cold shower. You don't want a hot shower. But every now and then I would have been happy to have a hot shower, but you couldn't because everything was cold. But lukewarm drinks. I don't know about you guys. I'm, that's not for me. And so when we look at this, we're going to see something interesting about this church at Laodicea. Uh, some of you guys know a little bit about the church and everything, but 
It was a very rich city. It was a banking city. It was a manufacturing city. And so they would have this black wool that they would manufacture. It was a, and so they had a lot of money from that. And not only that, it was a medical city. This is where they had this eye stuff that they would put on your eyes and help. If you had blurry eyesight, they would fix your eyesight. I mean, it was a medical place. And so you have this rich city that an earthquake hit, but it was so rich that it didn't need any help from anybody else. It just built the city back by themselves. They didn't want anybody else to help them. They had all the money they wanted. And so they have, here's what's amazing. They have a banking, they have a manufacturing, they're medical, but what they couldn't get is guess what? Water. They had poor drinking water. And so can you imagine that? I mean, here's a city with everything, but poor drinking water. And so there would be a hot springs in Heropolis that was a closer city by, and the hot springs would, they would aqueduct or bring the water down, but by the time the water got, the hot water got to the city, guess what it was? Lukewarm. But there was cold springs there in Colossae that were close, but when the cold water would come down the aqueduct, guess what it would be? Lukewarm. And so the city couldn't get good drinking water. They have everything you want. They're rich, the banks, the, the clothing they want. They got the medical, but they can't get the water. And this is amazing to think about. All that they had, they still had a weakness. And look how the Lord starts it off with them. He says this, he goes, I want you to know who I am. I am the amen. Now, now be careful because some people amen everything the pastor says. I, I, I don't know, some of you are not like that, but there was, yeah, I mean, there was a guy, I remember one time, he'd come, anything I said, he would amen. I'm like, you're all going to hell. Amen. Amen. I mean, amen everything. I mean, he didn't even know what I said. He like, couldn't hear well. But, you know, amen everything. Everyone said amen. 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 Do you know what amen means? It means what? Let it be. But what else does it mean? So be it, or that's true. We had uh, Brother Thad in the church at Hilltop. We loved him because he'd sit in the back and he'd always say, you know, when the pastor would say something he liked, he'd say, that's right. I like that. That's right. You know, I like amens, but can I get a that's right? That's right. <laughs> Amen means that's right. That's right. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. I got it. It means it's true. It means what is said is the truth. And normally we give our amens when? At the end of the sentence, right? We pray and then we say amen at the end of the sentence. Jesus starts off by saying he's what? The amen in the beginning of this. He's going to let him know, hey, Laodicea, I am the true one. What I speak is truth. Jesus is the truth. He is the amen. He's not only that, he is the faithful and the true witness. He's not going to lie or make up stories. He's not a hypocrite. He is the one that will tell it as it is. He will tell the truth. He is the truth and he is the true witness. So he knows how our lives are. And guess what else he is? He's the beginning of the creation of God. And what it's saying is, some people use this verse to say that means that Jesus was created. No, it's not saying that Jesus was created. It's saying he is the source of creation. We exist because of Jesus Christ, and we are responsible to Jesus Christ because of him. 
He's the beginning. He's the RK of creation. He is the one. So he is the truth. He is the one that gives a true witness. He's not a hypocrite. And he is the one that we are responsible to. Look what he says here in verse 15. He says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were what? Cold or hot. Now, I've heard sermons on this where people, evangelists, use this passage and they say, some of you, some of you sinners here today, you're cold. You are cold to the things of the Lord. And you need to get saved here today. You need Jesus here today. You are cold to God. You are cold people. You are cold. And some of you, you're okay, but you're not hot. You're not on fire for God. You need to be on fire for God. You're cold. You're hot. You're cold. You're hot. And he says that. Jesus says, I wish you were cold. Is he saying, I wish you were unsaved? So cold here is a good thing. Hot is a good thing. Cold, I don't know if you know this, but cold, when you have a cold glass of water, it's refreshing. Amen? I mean, we love cold glass of water. I remember we had this, it was funny, Joshua was thirsty and we were about to have our Bible time. And we had this thing where we put the verse up on the TV. And I said, Joshua, we can't, he goes, I want a drink. I said, let's just wait, we're going to put the verse, I want a drink, I'm thirsty. He said, no, no, let's just put the verse up. I didn't know what the verse was going to come up. He goes, Dad, we want a drink. He says, it's all mad that we're about to have our Bible. You know those family Bible times, don't you love them? We're about to have our Bible time. Sit down, shut up. We're going to have our Bible time. And we got our Bible time. And like, Dad, I want a drink. Please, I want a drink. No, just wait. We're going to read it. One verse. That's all it is. Do you know the verse that came up on the screen? You would not believe this. <laughs> Proverbs 25, 25. Anybody know that verse? Like cold water to a thirsty soul. <laughs> so is good news from a foreign country. We couldn't stop laughing after that one. <laughs> I didn't know what was going to come up on the screen. I mean, God had that one all planned out. So we, we had a laugh about that. We still laugh about that one. Cold is good in this context. Hot is good in this context. Nothing like a hot bath to relax and just to rejuvenate and to sit there. Nothing like a hot shower just to get the body to relax. It is one, hot water is beautiful. I love hot water. Cold water is beautiful. It is good. He's saying, I wish that you were either refreshing or rejuvenating or something useful, but what you are is verse 16, you are lukewarm. You're not hot where you can, you can rejuvenate or be useful for hot. You're not cold, refreshing. You are in the middle. You're lukewarm. You're not useful. He goes, I wish you were. And he's talking about their deeds. So really what he's saying is you're living your life and you're going through the motions, but what you're doing really doesn't even matter or going to last. It's not useful. I wish you were. You say, how, do, how does somebody become lukewarm? What are some signs of, of a lukewarm person? And, and uh, this guy, J.D. Greer, Greer, I'm sorry, he mentions a few things here. He says, look, he goes, 
Lukewarm Christians think about life on earth much more than about eternity. Well, that's true. Lukewarm Christians love their luxuries, but rarely give. Lukewarm Christians give God their leftovers, but not their first and best. Lukewarm Christians rarely share their faith, never talk about Jesus with anyone. And here's an important thing, and I think a lot of us have fallen into this category. Lukewarm Christians do not live by faith. We structure our lives so that we don't have to trust in God. Parents do that for their children. I'm going to work hard so my kids don't go through what I went through when I was a kid. And we cause them to what? Not live by faith. And so we structure our lives so we never have to trust in God. And we become lukewarm. This is amazing to think about. Piper, Piper shares in his, and he says, he says how, do you, how do you know that you become lukewarm? He says, you start to see it first in your prayer life. That you don't go to God fervently and wake up expectantly and asking God to do it's only what God can do. You just get up and you half-heartedly say prayers and you just get your prayers out of the way for the day and your Bible reading out of the way for the day and you go on to your own business. And all of a sudden we become what? Lukewarm. The passion for God is not there. The, the earnest, the expectation that God is going to do something in our lives is not there. We're just going through the motions and we become lukewarm. He says, I wish you were what? Hot? I wish you were cold. I wish you were being used, but you're going through the motions. I, I was talking to the kids about why do we even pray? I mean, why do we pray? God knows what we need. I mean, why even go before God and pray? Here's why we pray. We pray because the moment we pray to God, it is an act of trust. Yes. We're saying, God, I trust you to do this. I need you to do this. We pray because it's fellowship with God. He loves our fellowship. But we also pray because through our prayers, God does something for his kingdom, which is amazing. We pray for people to get saved. We pray for people to get right with God. And he uses our prayers to touch lives. He's a lukewarm he says, I wish it. And guess what I'm going to do? He said, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Now, some people use this to say you're going to lose your salvation. But really, in the Greek, what it's saying here is I am about to spit you out. You still have a chance here. I am about to get you out. I, I remember we had a guy in the house doing some work and I left a drink outside for him. It was a hot day and, and he was thirsty. He waited a couple hours. He took a drink after a couple hours. Guess what it was? That was some hot water. And I'll never forget. He did. He, <laughs> spit it all over my yard. Whatever it is. The Lord says, you know what? I wish you were useful. I wish I could do, but it's going to come a time when I'm going to right out of my mouth. I don't know about you. Some churches made the Lord sad. Some churches made the Lord mad. But this church makes the Lord sick. That's pretty strong. And so how do we let go of this? What do we do to let go and make sure that we don't get into this? Look at this passage. This is a beautiful passage. 
It is letting go of being lukewarm. It hits us all. So how do we let go of this? How do we really live either hot or cold, useful for God? How do we do this? Look at this passage. First thing we need to do is an honest self-evaluation. Look at what it says in verse 17. Because you say, and they're way off base. I mean, we, we can fool others. We can fool ourselves, but we'll never fool God. And, and here's what they're doing. They're saying to themselves, I'm rich. I've become wealthy. I have all the physical blessings that I could ever want. I'm a blessed person. I, I have need of nothing. I'm okay. I, I got, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. I, I, I'll never forget the, the girl that said, oh, I have my boyfriend. I have a good job. Why do I need God? They're saying, I'm rich and I become wealthy. Literally, I have made myself wealthy. I've, I've worked hard to make this money. I got my money. I don't need anything. I'm a blessed person. And here's what they're looking at. They're looking at their physical things and equating that with their spiritual health. And we do that all the time. How you doing today? I'm a blessed person. Got my house, got my car, got my wife, got, sounds like a country song, got my dog. I got everything I need. I'm a blessed person. You can have all that and be the most spiritually bankrupt person on the face of this earth. Life is not about that. And yet they're saying this, I'm rich, I'm wealthy, I don't need anything, I'm okay. And here's what he says you are. Wow. He says, you don't even know how off base you are. You know what you are? You're wretched. That's, that's a word there for filled with distress. You are, you are wretched. You are miserable. You are somebody that people should look at and have pity on. You are poor. You have nothing. You are blind. You don't even see things. And you are naked. And the word naked there literally talks about judgment there. You are somebody who has nothing. And yet you think you have everything. There are times when we need to go before the Lord and ask the Lord to help us to look in the mirror and to see how we're really doing spiritually. Instead of looking at all the little blessings in our lives and say, wow, God must be with me because I have all these things. We need to take a long look at our hearts and see where we are. Look at this verse here. It says, search me, O God, and know my what? Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And then I love this phrase. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting one. John Wesley has a list of questions that he would ask himself. I'm not going to list them all because we'd be here all night. Look at some of these. Do I give the Bible time to speak to me every day? Did the Bible live in me today? Am I enjoying prayer? Do I go to bed on time and get up on time? Am I defeated in any part of my life? Am I jealous, impure, critical, irritable, touchy, distrustful? How do I spend my, my time? Am I proud? He would sit there before the Lord and ask himself some questions. 
And allow the Lord, through the Word, through prayer, to reveal things in His heart. How often do you do that? I'm not saying we need to do this every day, because then we'll end up in a loony house thinking how bad we are. But once in a while, take a long look and see, Lord, where am I today? Am I, am I, is Christ real to me? Look at somebody. Do I grumble and complain? And then as God is revealing these things in our hearts, look what the prayer is. Lead me in the everlasting way. God, change my heart. Help me to live for you in the everlasting way. If there's hurtful ways, search my heart. Know my heart because we're so off base sometimes. We think we know what we're doing when we don't. Search my heart. Help me to know if there's a hurtful way and lead me in the right way. That's the first step of letting go of being lukewarm. The second step is, watch this. Live in dependence upon Christ. Christ in verse 18 is going to give him some advice. He's going to say, I advise you. I'm going to give you some counsel here. Here's what you ought to do. You ought to buy from me gold refined from, by fire so you become rich. You ought to buy the white garment so that you may clothe yourself. You ought to get the eye stuff, that word there, but anoint your eyes so that you may what? You may see. So here's what he's saying here. Instead of trusting in your own physical riches or your own abilities to do what is right, don't structure your life so that you don't have to live by faith. Structure your life so that you do have to live by faith. So you do have to go to Christ. And guess what? He gives riches that are not only physical, but spiritual riches. We come to Christ. He gives garments not only to cover, but He gives garments to cover all our sins. He gives garments to white garments that were covered with the righteousness of Christ. And He helps us see, not just physically, but He helps us see what? Spiritually. He says, come to me. Come to me for these things. Change bankers. Change, change structure. Don't structure your life on the things that don't matter. Structure your life on depending upon Christ and what matters. Boy, that's hard. I am not excited about a building project. I'm not. Because that structures our lives around what? Depending upon Christ. I don't like that. I like to structure my life around things that don't have to depend upon him. But he says, I want you to come to me for those things. Don't, don't go to the world for these physical things. Go, become spiritually rich. Don't go to the world and try to clothe yourself with external stuff. Come to me and I'll give you true righteousness. Don't go and think that you can see. Come to me, I'll help you see. We come to Christ and he helps us to live for what matters. I tell you, this passes on. I'm, I'm thankful for my father. I've mentioned this before. He's, he said this, and I, I praise God for this. He said, in life, he's chosen over the years to do less so that he could spend time with his family and be with his family and do things that really matter in life. Now his son... Chris, the lieutenant colonel, he had chances to become something and neglect his family, but he chooses his family. These things pass on. And we, what are we living for? Are we living for something that will matter 5, 10, 15, 20, 50, 100 years from now? Or are we only living for what matters right now? Live in dependence upon Christ. 
And then, watch this. If you're not in a place where you feel desperate for the Spirit of God, then there's no way you're on the front lines of the mission. When we are on the front lines, we feel desperately our need for God's help. Is that how you're living? If not, you're not hot or cold. My wife, she says it. We want to be in a place where we're the most dependent upon God. I hate when she says that. Because it's so true. We want to be in a place of our lives where we are the most dependent upon God living by faith. Now watch this. Look what the Lord does. Do not do an honest uh, self-evaluation. Live in dependence upon Christ and respond to Christ's loving discipline. To whom I love, guess what he does? To whom I love, I reprove and I discipline, he says here. Sometimes love is very tough. And God has a way of grabbing our attention. And whom he loves, he brings those things out. And whom he loves, I love this discipline. The word is for child rearing. Don't you love child rearing? What, what, what do you have to do when you rear a child? You have to continue to repeat things and, and be patient with them. Do they get it the first time? Any of your kids get it the first time? Any amens here? Yeah, 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 right. Beth says she gets it the first time. Yeah, right. All right, I'm glad. I'm going to talk to Lori later than that. She, the first kid I've ever met gets it the first time. Praise the Lord. It's, you know, there it is. But do we get it the first time? No, it's patience, patience. Say it. Rearing. This is not judgment. This is not punishment. People say God is punishing me. He's not punishing you. He punished Christ on the cross for us. If he punished you, you'd be in hell right now. But he will discipline you. He will child rear you. He will grab our attention. And boy, does he know how to grab our attention. You say, how does God grab our attention? Look at some of the things he grabs our attention with. He disrupts our plans. He loves doing that. The Tower of Babel, remember that? Oh, we're going to build a tower, we're going to get up to God? Okay, yeah, right. He disrupted that. He, he makes us restless at times. And Esther, the king, couldn't sleep. Sometimes when we're restless, God is grabbing our attention. He grabs our attention by saying no to our prayers. Nobody likes a no. He says no to our prayers. God's grabbing our attention. And he also allows us to experience loss. And when that happens, guess what he does? He grabs our attention. Right? I was with... Um, talking to a, a mentor of mine, Chuck, Chuck DeClean, and he just lost a really dear person in his life and crying on the phone. And, but what he is doing now, God has got his attention. Here he is in his 70s. He says, I, just pray for me, Jeremy. I want to be in a place where I can continue to make an impact. I want to just touch. God has got his attention. He says, what do we, how do we respond when God gets our attention? We need to be zealous and we need to repent. When God, when God is working in our lives and he, and he starts to bring these obstacles in our lives, we need, we need to learn from these. We need to be zealous and we need to do what? We need to change. We need to repent. Not just say, okay, 2022 is going to be the same year as 2020. No! I'm just going to have the same Bible program, same prayers, same thing. All year. No, something's wrong. We need to do what? Be zealous, have that passion, and we need to make some changes. 
Say, Lord, what is it in my life? Why ain't I witnessing like I should? Why am I running after things of this world like when I shouldn't do it? God, help me to make the changes. Help me, Lord, to do less, but to do more that matters. How about that for a prayer for 2022? Help me to make the changes. I'm running around like a chicken without a head. I'm doing a million things, but I'm doing nothing, God. Help me to do what matters. Help me to wake up and have a heart for you and pray to you. Help me to let the Bible speak to me in the morning as I read. I don't want to rush through it. Let the Bible speak to me, Lord. Help me to have a prayer. Help me to have a heart for the loss. Wow. Be zealous and what? Repent. And here's what's amazing about our God. He doesn't force it. He doesn't say, you're going to repent or else you're done. You know what he does? Behold. I stand at the door. I know I don't start preaching this one. I'm knocking. Anybody hearing? I'm knocking. I never forget the time I had a FedEx package. And I'm in the back. And I got this thing in the middle. We're on time. We got to get these things off on time. And I'm, I'm on time. I'm sitting there in the back. And I'm knocking on the door. And the window is there. And people are just working. And I'm knocking. They're working. FedEx! I'm knocking harder. FedEx! FedEx! I'm like screaming at them. FedEx! Just knocking at the door. They're just working. And then I finally see a sign. We can't take any packages in the back. Please go to the front. So they were taught to ignore people who came and knocked at the back door. Boy, I want to break that window. I mean, I was so mad. The Lord is just... Do you hear me? Are you going to open your heart? I'm not going to force my way in. I'm just standing at the door knocking. Yes. You're going to make those changes? You're going to look at your life? You're going to listen to my rebuke? Or are you just going to continue to like, but let me just tell you something. When you open the door, guess what happens? He comes in. And he shows us what life is really about. And let me just tell you, back then when you would come in and dine with somebody, that is an intimate relationship. That is a fellowship with somebody. When you would share a table with somebody and have a a meal with somebody. And here's what's interesting, isn't it? When he told the disciples, he said, in the kingdom we will sit again where? At the table and have a meal again together. And and the kingdom of God is about intimate fellowship with him. We're going to be one day with him. And he says, if you open the door, if you listen, you hear my voice. I'm going to come in and you're going to have intimate relationship with me. You're going to understand what life is really about and you're going to live for things that really matter. But I'm at the door. Some are scared. Some say, boy, if I open up that door, that means he's going to come in. And that means, wow, I'm going to have to make some changes and I like my life. Or some say, well, if I open the door, does that mean do I have to be a missionary? Or if I, if I open the door, does that mean I, I have to start witnessing to my neighbors? Listen, open the door and allow Christ to decide that. And when you open the door, it's amazing what God does in our lives.
all of a sudden we do have a passion for the loss. All of a sudden we do have a passion for His Word. All of a sudden we do want to spend time in prayer to Him. You see, He says right here in this passage, He says in verse 21, He who overcomes, I will, I will grant to Him to sit down with Me on My throne. See, one day we will reign with Christ. We're united with Christ. We're going to be with Christ. We're going to sit down with Christ. So why wait till that time when we can have that intimate relationship with Him right now? So the question is this. Are you hot? Are you cold? Or are you just lukewarm? Are your, what you're doing for the Lord, is it really going to matter what you're doing with your life five years from now? Ten years from now? How about this? A hundred years from now? Or are you just living for stuff that won't matter in eternity? Now's the time to make the change. And say, Lord, help me to live for what really matters. To do less, but to do more that will make an impact for your kingdom. Help me not to run around next year with a chicken without a head doing a million things, but really doing nothing that matters. Help me to focus on what you want me to do and help me to be useful in your hands. Because he looks at this church and he says, you know what? I wish you were that, but you're not. I hope he doesn't look at any of us and say that. I wish you were that, but you're not. 2021 is over. Now it's time today to make those changes. So let's pray. As we quiet our hearts before God, As you look at your life before the Lord and reflect on some of the things that you were able to do in 2021, let me ask you this question. Will it matter five years from now? Will it matter ten years from now? How about a hundred years from now? So maybe now's the time to ask God, will you help me to live for what matters? Here is a city that had everything, but they couldn't get drinking water. Here is a city that looked at their own physical riches and equated them with spiritual riches. Here is a city that thought they had everything when they really had nothing. So now's the time to look at our hearts. We're thankful for his blessings, but life is so much more than houses, cars, bank accounts, the material things of this world. Let's make life about what really matters. So Father, we quiet our hearts before you. God, and I know in my heart, so easy to become lukewarm.
to wake up in the morning and rush through the Bible, rush through my prayer time, and spend my energy and time on things that won't really matter in all eternity. So God, I needed this reminder. And Lord, I pray that we would take a long look at our hearts. And as the psalmist said, that you would search our hearts. Know our anxieties. See if there's any harmful way in us. Lord, there's blind spots that we may not even be seeing right now. That God, you would reveal those. Is there any harmful way in our hearts? And God, that you would lead us in the way that's everlasting. We thank you for who you are. Thank you that Jesus is the amen. He is true. Thank you that he's the true and faithful witness. And thank you that he is the beginning of the creation. Lord, he is the source. And he is sovereign over us. And we are responsible to him. So we lift up our hearts to you. And we thank you so much. In Jesus' precious name, amen.